unfiltered, unscripted, and uncut. Took Max Scherzer less than a minute to strike out Tim Tebow. <laughs> Lasted 49 seconds, three pitch strikeout. He's wearing number 83. Oh, that's a number you give to a guy expecting to make the team in. <laughs> this is Homestand Headline. Teeing up homestand headlines on Friday, March 16th. Tyler Kelleher with you. Joined it once again by Mr. Michael Reeve. And I know you want to get out of here because you want to watch some March Madness and see if your bracket's holding up. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, unlike you, I actually did make a bracket. It didn't last long. Oklahoma going down in the first game on Thursday afternoon. My bracket's busted, but, you know, my Elite Eight is still intact, and that's what really matters. I mean, why don't you make a bracket? Why are you not like everyone else? I guess I'm just, what's the, I don't know. I, I'm afraid of disappointment. Is that the best <laughs> way to say it? I don't want to, I don't want to bet any money. I don't want to put money down for anything unless I feel like there's a good shot of me winning. We got like a five dollar, it's a friendly fiver pool going on, I know. And, uh, going on here and you're not even in on that one. I know. I'm so bad <laughs> with March Madness. For, for one thing, I have an interest in it, but not to the point where I'm going to watch Every single game from even where we are right now. Obviously, when it gets to the Final Four and, and stuff like that, I'll be interested. Uh, aside from that, unless FGCU is in the tournament, I really don't care. I went to Florida Gulf Coast University. Anybody that hasn't heard about FGCU's magical March Madness run back in 2013, YouTube Dunk City. And you'll understand how crazy that was. And I was there when it was happening, and it was insane. So if FGCU is in it... Uh, then I'm interested. They don't usually last that long, but you know they're not even in it this year. Yeah, the homer picks are hard because I'm I'm a big Ohio State guy, but I mean I took them to win yesterday, but I'm not taking them taking them to win tomorrow. So it's kind of like, yeah, my boys got to win, but I can't just keep riding them because they're my boys. Tugs in the heartstrings. And what yeah. do you do if they are leading and you want them to win at the end of the day, but you bet for them not to? Well, it's almost one of those things where it's. Too bad my bracket's about to be absolutely yeah. toasted, but at least my boys are the ones that did it to me. It's it's yeah. kind of like that, right? It's the same for fantasy, like hockey or something. If you have some guys on your team who are playing up against the Leafs. And they just scorch the Leafs. It's like, wow, that's a bad loss, but hey, hat trick. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Helps the fantasy. <laughs> Speaking about the Leafs, that 5-2 win over the Sabres, they made up for that loss last week against that very team. James Van Riemsdyk, dude, five goals in two games. I... The second, like, I didn't watch the beginning of that game because I was watching some March Madness, and I turned, I saw just on the app, the old Sportsnet score app, I was like, oh, 2-1. All right, who got him? JVR and JVR. I'm like, gee, I, I thought he was going to go for another hat trick. I thought he was going yeah. back-to-back hatties. Like, he, he's on fire, and man's going to get paid. He is. He is. He scores so many around the net, but then his second goal was actually a nice wrister around just behind the hash marks, and it was it was a pretty good goal. But yeah, he's he's definitely going to get paid next year. What kind of contract do you think he can fetch in the open market next year? I mean, it's so hard because he's a thirty goal scorer or is a thirty one goal scorer mm-hmm. now, which does set a new career high. Player peaking at the right time in the contract years, like they so often do. So, I mean, as much as you love the year he's having, you probably don't expect him to pop another 30 next year. You probably expect him to be closer to career averages because that's just normally what players do. They have good years, they have bad years. But he's still a very viable second, third, second option on a lot of teams to play the wing. He's he's not going to be your t- big top-line guy, but as a complementary piece and on that power play when he can stand in front of the net in his office for all those redirections and just banging them home, 
that's where he makes his money. So he's still going to be a really nice piece, a uh, secondary piece for really any team that wants to go out and get him. Yeah, I don't think you can get too caught up in the goals. And I think it's easy to do that. 31 goals is a yeah, big it's, deal. It's, it's a big number. It just jumps yeah. off the page at you. And he's been relatively healthy his entire career. Yep. And he and he scores at a pretty good pace for his entire career. He only has 16 assists this year. I think if you put him on a different team that doesn't have the talent around him as he does with the Maple Leafs, he might not see that kind of action. Granted, he also you, has he had Mitch Marner feeding the puck from for so long. So right. the puck almost always went through Marner, and that's why he has so many assists. Is because. JVR was putting in the puck for him, right? But to play devil's advocate, you could say he parks himself in front of the net. He's a big body. He can sit there. It seems like any team that can get some shots from within the perimeter on net, he can be effective. His hand eyes is incredible down low getting the tips. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like I said, but if you can get him at not a ridiculous contract, but put him on your second or third line and put him on that first power play unit as that net front presence, that's going to be a nice piece to a contending team to have him there as secondary scoring and that big body. He's also 28 years old. Yeah. So it's not like you're signing a 31-year-old or anything. Eh? He's 28. He seems like one of those players that's just been around for so long that mm-hmm. you feel like he should be 31, 32, but I guess he just he, he broke played into with, the league so early that he's just, here he is. He <laughs> played with Chris Pronger in Philly. You know, like he's, <laughs> he's been around the block. He's still only 28 years old. So that's why I think he can get up to five years a term. I think he can make over $6 million a year. Now, if he wants to come back to Toronto, he won't make that. No, if he wants to stay in Toronto, he's going to have to take the, the hometown discount, as it were. And he, I mean, he, it depends. If he stays with Toronto, he's going to have a chance to make a couple cup runs, most likely, we all assume, in the coming years and really play a lot of playoff minutes. The question is, does he want to take the pay cut for the success or does he one of those players who's just like, you know what, I'm 28, let me make sure I have a nest egg when you never know in hockey, you could get injured the next day, concussion, and never play another game. It can mm-hmm. happen. It's sports. Maybe he wants to go get paid, make sure his family's supported, make sure all of that's done, and maybe go somewhere just to take the money, and we can't really blame a guy for doing that. If I had to put a percentage on him, him coming back to Toronto, it's very, very low. 20? It's probably no, high? No, way less than that. 15? 10? I... Seriously, like seven, eight? Do you think the percentage goes up if the Leafs make a deeper run? You think if the Le- no. if the Leafs go maybe two, maybe three rounds in the playoffs, you think it's one of those where maybe now he has unfinished business and he's willing to take maybe a, a smaller thing to come back and do it here in Toronto? No, because I think that I'm not saying he wouldn't be open to taking a pay cut to stay in Toronto, but if that happens, he's going to get some term. And I don't think the Leafs are going to be willing to give him like six, seven years of term. I don't think they want him on the books when he's 34. I really you don't. You don't want anyone on the books when they're 34, Tyler. Right, <laughs> and especially a guy who doesn't have a lot of faith from the coach and doesn't get a lot of five-on-five time from Mike Babcock. For all you know, Babcock's walking into Lou's office saying, like, I really don't, I'm not going to use him. Yeah, unless you're paying him X, don't bring him back. Because it's probably ways, yeah. Because for the right amount of money, he's a great player. Right. Absolutely, no one's going to argue that. It's just the, the dollar number has to be right for him to stay in Toronto, but I really see a club probably coming in and just wooing him with a couple more zeros or a mm-hmm. couple more years on the contract, and he goes, it, I'm taking my talents to yeah, my talents there. Anywhere but Toronto. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense for him contractually because in on almost, not almost every team, on a lot of teams in the league, he would be, as you said, a top six guy, an effective piece that'll get a lot of minutes. But on Toronto, he's a power play specialist. Yeah. Right? And a third line. 
Yeah, that is. Th- I'm always confused on which lines which with Thrawn. because there, the there time, is no right? real. It's like yeah. line one A, one B, one C, and line four, and they get mixed <laughs> around so much too you know, throughout the lines game. Lines are constantly mm-hmm. in blenders. So that's a, a reason why I don't see him coming back. Uh, I see him leaving. So he will fetch a, a large uh, return if he hits the open market, which I think he will, and, and all the best to him, hopefully. The best part is that if you're going to use him as a rental, he's really picking up his game at the end of the season and playing well. He's been playing well all season. Yeah, it's, it's, the, said, it's the self-rental, right? You didn't pay anything to get him, but you pretty much you kind of know he's most likely walking at the end of the year. And that's the best feeling for Leaf fans because you've already established he's a self-rental since the deadline's gone. There's not a lot of faith of him getting re-signed. It would suck a lot if we were past the deadline and he only had one goal in the last 20 games, but instead he's lighting it up, he's playing well, he's being effective, and good for him. Hopefully he fetches a large return uh, this offseason. Curtis McElhinney stopped 38 shots in the win last night. Obviously, Frederick Anderson went down. Uh, during the Dallas game, he's won six of his last seven games he's played in McElhaney. Now, obviously, that includes um, two games where Anderson left. I'm talking about February 1st against the Ducks. Anderson left, McElhaney had to come in, and then last Tuesday, as I just said, against the Stars. So I, he's giving them a chance to win because I think when it comes to backup goaltenders, if they play 500 hockey and give you a 50-50 coin flip chance to win, that's like great. But the best part about all this is that he can come in midway through the game completely cold and and save one for you. He just said after the post game against Dallas, he goes, "Yeah, I had no idea Anderson was going to come off." They just said, "You're in." They threw me my gloves, and I guess I was in. Yeah, I guess like if a goalie starting gets shelled, if you're sitting on the bench as a backup, you can kind of maybe get mentally prepared. Like you know, there's probably a good chance if uh, if he lets another one in, I might be going in. You know, start preparing to maybe hit the ice. But when it's something that happens, and then a goalie keeps going, then he ends up skating over to the bench at a TV timeout and says, "I can't go," and it's like. Oop. You gotta jump in there. It really does show. That's exactly what you need from a backup goalie, though. Eh? The ability mm. to go in there and just give your team a chance to win. Like you said, just that's all anyone ever asks from a backup goalie is. We don't need you to go save fifty shots and give me a shutout. We're, we no one expects you to do that. Go back there, make the saves you're supposed to make. Maybe make a spectacular one or two if you can, and give us a chance to go score and win the game. And he does make spectacular well, saves he, a lot because he's out of position a lot. I'm not going to give him full <laughs> credit. He gets out of position once in a while, but he makes up for it, and he's a good backup. He was a good pickup. He's a waiver claim we're talking about, you know? So when it comes to that, and you have some depth coming, you have guys like Pickard and Garrett Sparks got called up on an emergency basis. Uh, he'll be on the bench while Anderson's healing. So I think that the depth that they have at goaltending is, is a good thing to see. It's something they haven't, we haven't been able to say in a while as well. For the Leafs, yeah. and, and right now, for almost every team in the league, yeah, how many teams can we name off that don't have goaltending? Yeah, not only a good starter, but a backup, a good professional backup is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Like you can find a kid. Like There's plenty of those floating around that will be more than happy to sit on the bench. But to find a veteran guy like this who understands he's been a career backup, he knows what it's like to go three weeks without getting a start. Get you got to get your reps in practice and... It's a different mentality, and it probably takes a lot of time as a goalie to transfer your mindset and to be knowing, I'm going to be sitting around for a while, like, oh, where's the next back-to-back? It's two and a half weeks from now. That's my next scheduled start. you gotta, you got to stay ready. you got to mm-hmm. stay ready. And that a young goalie can maybe sometimes struggle with that because they came from junior where they were the stud, and now they got to sit behind and play every now and again. And mm-hmm. having that veteran like a McElhaney back there, I think it's a. it's also good when the team looks back and they know Hey, he's got this. Yeah, it's not a nervous. Oh, we got to go score five. We got Mackle back there. 
or hang back and make sure we don't give up yeah, million exactly. chances. The, the defense doesn't have to play super conservative because they don't trust the guy behind them. I'm pretty sure that Leafs team has full trust anytime Curtis McElhinney goes into that crease that they're going to win the game. And he's a good locker room guy, so a lot of the team gets along with him. Uh, talking about Mitch Marner, the guy who is supposed to be on a presumed sophomore slump. Best sophomore slump ever. How good of a sophomore slump is this? Obviously... He scored opening night for the Maple Leafs and then went on an 18-game scoreless slump. So he was on, I guess you could call, a sophomore slump. But now 19 goals and 59 points. There's 11 games left to play. Theoretically, if he goes on a on a, on a a tear. On a little point-per-game stretch to finish off the season. He could finish with 70 points. But even not finish with 70, 11 games, he's most likely going to finish with 20 goals. Yeah, he has 11 he games at, to score a he goal. He was at like three for half the year. Like yeah. It, it's been a, a big turnaround for Mitch Marner, and it's really good for the Leafs that this happened. And the best part is that he doesn't really play with Matthews. I always had, personally, I th- I've had Nylander, they're, they're even. Marner and Nylander, they're pretty even. But if one had to depart from the team at some point with some crazy hypothetical or conversation, just talking to the bar with your buddy, I thought in my head, I'd probably rather have Nylander. He's got a ridiculous shot, wrist shot. It's insane. Good skater, good vision, and he's a great piece to plug in with Matthews, and he's a possible centerman down the road for the Maple Leafs. I love Nylander. You look, you compare the two, Marner's having a better season, and he doesn't play with Matthews at all. He's he's hanging around with Bozak and JVR to start it, the season. Bozma, Bozak's been abysmal this year. He's got up to 11 goals now. He does. Well, did be, when the season started, did you yeah, think no. he was going to have I'm, 11 goals? No, we we probably penciled him in to be a 15 to 20 goal scorer. Yeah. He, he might get there. Maybe. But further <laughs> in his career, I, I expect William Nylander to score more than 20 goals in a season. Oh, you expect William Nylander to be a 30-goal 30, 30, 30 If he's playing guy. with Matthews, then absolutely. Yeah, and the thing about Marner was he's been on different lines so often. Like The mm-hmm. second Babcock wants to put the lines in the blender, Mitch Marner is the first ingredient in. It's Where am I putting Mitch? It's not, ooh, should I move these guys around? It always seems to be Marner getting the getting the shift. Where Which line is he playing on tonight? It's... So not only does he he's leading the team in points, mostly because Matthews has been on the sideline for so long, but don't take it away from him. He is leading the team. You got to think, could he be so much better if he had just get some familiarity, get that line and get a line going from the beginning of the year where he could be right now would be scary. So to picture where he could be next season, because we just spoke about James Van Reems, like possibly not coming back, better chances than not. And then Tyler Bozak, I don't see him coming back. I think if he does come back, he's coming back as a fourth-line center. Oh, yeah, the Leafs need more of those, eh? Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, Buchanan's won't be coming back next year. No, he's year. probably going back to the Habs. Dominic Moore, he only had a one-year deal. Yeah, but, man, I like him. I like him, too. Apparently, Babcock doesn't, though. Yeah, well, yeah. So, the whole idea of Tyler Bozak, he's a face-off guy. Yep. He's... But to bring him on for a third- or a fourth-line guy next year... Well, who are you saying? Well, Matthews, obviously, you're going to pen, you're penning, written in stone as yep. your number, your one C. Mm-hmm. Well, you go the, probably the Kadri, Marlowe, mm-hmm. Marner line, probably penciled in as your line two. Yep. Yeah, I guess it gets a little, a lot more question marks from there because your JVR is most likely going away. Yeah, you're probably losing two thirds of that third line that we like to call it. We could look at possible free agents, but I don't think they're going to want to be dumping money no, they're gonna, I think on they're another gonna, aging they're player to plug the, in. I think we're going to the kids. So you're like saying like a, like a, a Bozak plays the third line, like a Gauthier comes up for fourth? Maybe. Like, I think you still do need a little... I mean, I understand Marlowe's a veteran presence, but even if 
you want to bring up a centerman. You don't want that centerman taking all the draws right away, almost like Matthews, right? He didn't take all the draws in his first mm-hmm. year. Him and Nylander did a lot of switching back and forth. If you're bringing a centerman up, might be nice to have Bozak on that line with them, and they can go strong side for strong side, just bring him up into the – because center's a hard position. I don't think Mike Babcock likes bringing a rookie to that position right away. Well, especially with the rule change with face-offs, how often do they have to swap out and someone else comes yeah. in to take the you draw? It happens need all a the second time. centerman if every yeah. defensive zone faceoff in the playoffs in the third period, you're going to see two two centermen on the ice every single time. How many times do you see Zach Hyman going in for a faceoff or Connor Brown? Yeah, like yeah, it's going to be like every defensive zone faceoff is probably going to be Bozak and uh, Kadri in the playoffs, or or Matthews in there too. There's going to be two out of three almost every defensive zone faceoff. I'm going to have to guess just because mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. They're getting kicked out so often. You need that. You need that reliable guy, and in the playoffs. Quick face-off, puck in the back of your net. That could change the tide of a series. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of question marks with the Maple Leafs and what they do to plug in to fix these holes in the future. Andreas Janssen made his debut on Tuesday against Dallas. He had some pretty good shifts to start it off, and then he had to go into the dark room for a bit, hit his head. I think he got stitches as well, came back, finished off the game. He's a speedy guy. He's a lefty, which is, I think, a good thing. You look at what they have talent-wise. It's a lot of right-handers, so a lot of right-wingers. You finally have a left winger to come up, a guy who's got speed. You can plug into your fourth line. Babcock had him on the fourth line. Possibility of him maybe moving up to the third line. And he was a power play kind of guy, too. He's on the second power play unit. So I think he can be versatile, more like a Josh Levo, but a better skater than Josh Levo, a guy who can plug into certain scenarios and can help your team. I'm not saying he's going to grow into anything, but he has. He is having a hell of a season in the AHL, point-per-game pace. He'd probably be a great bottom six guy next year maybe for the Leafs. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, when I think of Kapanen, I don't think of him as a fourth liner. I think it, of him as a, a very, very good third liner. Yeah, a third liner that the second someone goes down in your top six, you just slide him up and no one bats an eye type guy. I think he's the fastest skater on the Leafs. Okay, he's, and his ability to kill penalties is another reason why Mike Babcock is mm-hmm. loving him. He's one of those, he's not a one-dimensional player. He's He can go out there and kill penalties. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't look terrible on a power play either because he's got a nice mm-hmm. shot. Like. But you're right, his speed in the PK is amazing. Did you see what Dallas did? They had Ben and Sagan on the penalty kill. Well, Ben has always killed penalties. His, his but Sagan career. too? Hey, well, Jamie Ben, Victoria boy. I mean, he knows how to kill a penalty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Repping Victoria. Always. Anytime I get to do it. Sagan's from what, Brampton? Yeah. Yeah, you don't care because it's Ontario. Yeah, Vancouver Island, man. Okay. Jamie Ben. How's the weather over there? Better than here. Was it minus six today? Minus seventeen with a wind chill. I walked outside yesterday at like four in the afternoon, and the sun was on me, and I was like, "Man, it's actually nice." I was feeling hot in my jacket. I'm like, "Maybe it's gonna make a turn for the better." Literally two hours later, I got back from the gym, and it was snowing. Oh, dude, I, I hit Tim's on the way to school this morning. My drink was cold by the time I got here. I hit I hit the King the King Station Tim's there. Walked to school. It was like having a nice coffee. Yeah, March 16th. Let's wake up here. Yeah. Let's get it going. It's supposed to be spring in five days. Yeah, sticking up with the Leafs right before we move on. Leo Komarov got hurt as well. Bunch of fluke injuries this season. Austin Matthews concussion. He collided with Morgan Riley. Now this injury with Leo Komarov, he collides with William Nylander. It looks a bit like a knee on knee. They called it a lower body injury. Uh, Babcock said he, he looked fine after the game, passed all the tests. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. He's a very durable player. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like him and... Polak, if you actually see them stay down, you know it's a, you know it's probably something mm-hmm. pretty bad because those players don't normally show the pain or 
really need help getting off the ice, they'll skate it off. They're they're proud guys, and so it's always scary when you see a guy like Komarov stay down in pain and didn't look like he put any weight on the ice when he left either. So hey, if Babcock says he's okay, maybe just give him a give him a few days of a spell here, rest up, maybe one game, maybe two. Bring him back in. It's easy to get deflated if you're a Leaf fan watching all this, but just think about the breathing room you have and the gap that you have for the playoffs. Like, you're fine. And if anything, just be a glass-half-full kind of guy and realize it's rest more than anything else. Think about the workload that Frederick Anderson's had. Give him some time off. Austin Matthews will be back soon. Yeah, I think on the last show we were talking about how McElhaney needs to play more. Well, McElhaney's (laughs) going to play more. It may not be why we wanted it to happen. But it's going to happen. I think it could have been the only way it happened, too, if Anderson went down with an injury. I wouldn't have been surprised if Anderson stayed healthy for the rest of the regular season and Babcock just played in the normal amount. Yeah, it would have been. He seems very stuck in his ways. So they're taking on the Habs on Saturday. Placanitz plays his former team. They're in Toronto. Habs have won just one of their last seven games. But the best part about this whole thing is that Carey Price took part in full practice. Huh? Right? Why? Right? <laughs> exactly. What? Like, What? What up, what's up with that? And then, but he's not going to play against the Leafs. Now, why is it even a question of him coming back at all this season? Why would you even entertain the idea of bringing him back at all? I don't understand why you would risk it, and I don't know why you would uh, even attempt to do this because Carey Price is a type of goalie that can steal you a win. He is that good. He is a number one goalie in the NHL. He can steal you. Your team can play absolutely terrible, and Carey Price can steal you a win. It can happen. The Habs don't want to be winning games right now. I was about to say, that's the worst-case <laughs> scenario. Exactly. They don't need a goalie who's going to come and steal a couple wins. They want to go 0 and whatever they got left, so they get the best possible chance of drafting Rasmus Dallin. Placanitz is out. Weber's out. Or not Placanitz, excuse me. <laughs> Pacioretty's out. Weber's, Weber's out. out. And yeah. then Price. And then I think uh, Victor Mete didn't really... I think he shut down, too. Yeah, they, get, they don't have... Yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. Keep bringing up everyone from uh, Laval, their AHL team. Is it Laval? Just bring everyone up from the (laughs) AHL team and let their team keep losing and get a good draft pick. Don't bring Carey Price back, win like 80% of the rest of your games and ruin your chance in the draft lottery. Because Deleen is a guy who's a generational talent, generational talent on the can, back end, and he can change a team. You look at the Habs back end, man. Could they use? They could use help anywhere. Yes. But on the back end, talking about one of those most sluggish decors in the league, he would definitely help that without a doubt, hundred um, percent. Ilya Kovalchuk. We have to dive into this really quickly. He came out saying that he wants to return to the NHL this summer. And he wants to play in the league for several years. He's 31 years old. Okay. He left New Jersey in 2013. He's won two KHL titles since. Yeah, well, he plays for the team that doesn't actually technically have to abide by the cap. You, you've heard this, right? No. Yeah, because... He's 34 all, years old. Sorry, all, all the players that pretty much played for the Russian Olympic team or the Olympic athletes from Russia team, mm-hmm. they all are on one KHL team, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then KHL rewrote the rules to say this team doesn't need to follow the cap because he wanted all of them to play together so they had chemistry when they came to the uh, to the Olympic tournament to win that gold. Really? The team, yeah. It, it's rigged for them to win the championship. It is completely rigged. So do you even see a possibility of him coming back? Someone will sign him. Like who? <laughs> Arizona? I don't know. He's he's still a top-end guy. He could fit, fit he into can't a top skate. six. No, he can't skate, man. You don't think he can go, still fit into a top six? Where, though? Where? 
or even if he's a third line guy on a third line guy on a contending team, that third option. I wouldn't play. want him. I wouldn't want him. He can't move. Well, yeah. So he doesn't fit into like a Toronto scheme where they're just a really quick puck moving team. But but what team isn't trying to be like that nowadays? It's true. You know, you, you need like issue. an old school Bruins or an old school like West Coast team where they just tried to beat you up. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, if he is coming in with the idea that he's going to get term, he's insane. Everything he gets is going to be one year at a time. It's going to be like Yager, the one year deals. I he might get a two or a three. Oh, I think we have two completely different pers- uh, perspectives on Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah. I honestly, I can't even think of an idea of him coming back. I don't think he's going to come back. Sure, he can. He might have a shot, but his speed and his skating ability is, I think, the main reason. I think he got demoted and sent down uh, to like the third or fourth line during the Olympics. He I, wasn't like a top liner on Team Russia, and we're or excuse me, the Olympic athletes of Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. And don't give them any credit for that. And now we're talking about an NHL team. You think he's going to be in the top six? I don't think I, so. so. Someone will sign him. Someone's going to give him a shot to sell seats. You probably hundred percent sell jerseys. Sell jerseys. It's all about the money. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a, that'd be a crazy storyline and scenario. It'd be nice to see him come back. I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't enjoy to see him play in the NHL. I think the odds of it are very, very slim. Raptors beat the Pacers 106 to 99 for their tenth straight win. Their seventeenth of the last eighteen games. Demar Derozan had a game high 24 points. Uh, it was a tight game for a bit, but then they kind of just pushed a little bit away at the end. It seems so to seven be a, point. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a theme with the Raptors. They're either blowing teams out or they're it's tight, and then in the fourth quarter they just yeah. They show that extra gear that good teams have. And good job by Dwayne Casey. Normally he goes to Fred Van Fleet there in the fourth quarter. He's the guy out with the starters. Realized DeLon Wright was having the game. Went with DeLon. That's how good this Raptors bench is. That Fred had a bad game. He, compared to what he's been doing all year, he had a bad game. But there's so many other pieces that can carry this team. That's what they haven't had in years past. And, hey, this Indiana Pacers team isn't a bad team. They're third in the conference. They're going to mm-hmm. make the playoffs and are a potential matchup with the Raptors in that second round because they're probably going to drop to the four because they got a lot of tough matchups down the stretch. They still got to do a West Coast swing. Luckily, the Raptors have that way over with, so you you kind of expect them to flip-flop with Cleveland there, and this could be a matchup we see in the second round of the NBA playoffs, and that looks like it's going to be a tight one for six games because they played each other hard yesterday. Balance shooting... Uh, can't even speak today. Valanchunas had a very good week of basketball. Even last night, 16 points, 17 rebounds. They dominated the Pacers with rebounds last night. Oh, yeah, they were all over the glass. And it's just the, the faith that, once again, Casey has in Jonas now. A couple of years ago, the second the other team would go small, Jonas would be off the floor. Now, he keeps them out there against those small units, and they just dominate. They throw the ball into him in the post and just let him go up against that six nine guy trying to guard seven foot JV. It's not going to happen. JV's got that touch now, and and he's he's looking good. And I think I was on the trade JV train at the beginning of the year. Man, was I proven wrong. He's had a great season. A lot of people were, and he's really turned it around. And you know, another road win. People talk about how good the Raptors' home record well, is. Best home record in the NBA. Right. They have the third most road wins, though, as well. They have 23 road wins. Well, it helps when you have the third most wins in the NBA. Total. It does help. <laughs> so they're coming back tonight. They host Dallas tonight. So they play back to back. Dallas has 22 wins in the season. But Dallas so, plays them tough for some reason. 
It could be a trap game because it's a back-to-back. You can come back home. There's travel. It is against Dallas, a team who has... Yeah, Dallas flew in. We're waiting for Toronto. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's Dallas. They just won 10 straight games, the Raptors. Keep it going. Yeah, hey, you know, one more to tie the streak that they set a couple years ago for longest, and they also set the longest. It's their twenty-first game yesterday, scoring a hundred plus. That's a new uh, franchise mark as well. So they're playing the best basketball in the history of the Toronto Raptors, and we can just hope that it translates to the postseason. Do you see them getting to beyond sixty wins? Sixty wins. Uh, you know, they're on pace. They're technically on pace to do it, and. I mean, it, de- it really rest de- comes into it, it. It really depends when they lock it up. Because right now, they have five five above the Celtics, I believe, five game yep. lead. Yep. It all depends when you lock that up. If you have to keep battling till the end, I could really see them getting to sixty wins. If they have an opportunity where they're locked into that one seed, because maybe Boston loses a couple, they play Boston twice more. If they beat them in those, it's essentially done yeah. right there. It maybe you start resting players when you're locked into that one seed. So you're ready for the playoffs. It really depends if they got to fight tooth and nail to the end because they want that one seed. They do, and they'll take they'll take better odds and in going into the playoffs with a better spirit than in terms of go- when finishing the regular season with a better record. I think you look back at Golden State two years ago, finished with that great season, still didn't win the finals, yeah. and no one remembers anything well, I mean, else. We, we but still that. we still remember the the seventy three and all of the, that. It was amazing, right. but yeah, but you're right, they didn't win. The the four, they, they win the other two, right? The, they win the two championships that flank their 73-win season. Out of the four major sports, basketball is the more championship, playoff-oriented. It's all about what you do in the playoffs. And, and, and I, I, understand, I think someone could hear me say that and think, what are you talking about? Every sport's about what you can do in the playoffs. They want to win a championship. But the Raptors are, are a spitting image of that. Basically, they're a great regular season team, but they just flame out in the playoffs, and that's kind of what I mean. I, I hate when people keep saying they flame out in the playoffs. The last two years... They've only been beaten by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But they got swept by LeBron James. And the conversation for the last few years... They got swept by the team that went to the finals. I know, but my... And the year before that, they went six games against the team that went to the finals and won said finals. I know, but the competition, or excuse me, the conversation in this city... I know. For the last number of years has been, when are they going to get to the finals? When are they going to get over that hump? So it's it's not like the year before last season... They were a terrible team and then just came up, finally made the playoffs, and then got swept by Cleveland. They've been a playoff team for a few years and now. Three straight 50-win seasons now. And their best players, I'm speaking Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, usually disappeared in the playoffs. Kyle Lowry had a game where he had to go back into the, the locker room. Like, what is that? You're a leader of the team. You went to the bathroom. To, I, I think that was an excuse. You think that's cover? I, I think that was cover. I think he went mm-hmm. in for some personal time, maybe punched a few lockers, like kind of settle down and come back in. I don't know. Or better than punching someone on the other team and getting ejected. Yeah. I, he, he took a long time in there. I'm not saying that's what happened. That's just yeah. It's one man's opinion. You're right. <laughs> it, it, this team will be judged 100% on what happens in the playoffs. Whether right or wrong, it's how the city and especially how the United States will look at this team. Like People, people still aren't giving the Raptors respect. They're leading the conference by five games, and people are still saying... Cleveland's the team to beat, and I understand they have the best player in the world and possibly the best player of all time in LeBron James, but he's still got to at least somewhat respect the Raptors. They've only won four of the last ten, and LeBron says he's winning, or he's playing the best basketball of his life. He's been saying this, and I think we're past that time now in the NBA 
where it doesn't matter who's playing with LeBron. As long as he's on that team, they can win. You look back before he went to Miami, that time with Cleveland. He was on teams that didn't have any business making playoff runs, and he got them to the playoffs. Yeah. And, and now, yes, I think he is the greatest player on the planet, and he's still phenomenal. But it, it's at that point now where you have other competition in the conference and around the league where you can't just carry a team anymore. The interesting, interesting thing about LeBron is in years past, he's had so much help that we always remember he'd be taking games off and we'd be arguing about, is it right that LeBron James is sitting and these fans bought tickets to see the best player in the world and he's sitting on the bench and he's not going to dress. And you know, we had arguments about, is it right? He's played every single game this season so far. He's, he's not going to be coming into these playoffs with any rest. He's going to be coming into these playoffs with a full 82 under his belt, and he hasn't done that in a long time. So if, if he goes a couple seven-game series before they meet the Raptors, ooh, could be interesting there. And I wouldn't be surprised if their series do go long. Yeah. I'm not. It, I mean, if they sweep, sure, I wouldn't be surprised. Sweep in the first either. round because it's the NBA and it just happens. Mm-hmm. I seriously, have, I don't have much of a feel on what Cleveland's going to do in the playoffs. I have no idea. If they go to the conference final, are you going to be surprised? No. If they get, lose in the first round, are you going to be surprised? A little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, first round, yes. Second, second, second round? round mm, they're playing probably playing Boston second round. Yeah. Uh, that might be a tight series. Probably go seven. Kyrie versus LeBron. Grudge match. I, that's probably going to be the most exciting series for me. Even like when you look at Raptors. Well, if Raptors uh, what, go to the conference well, no, finals, a whole different what thing. What about it, like a Golden State-Houston series? That's going to be a really sick series coming from the West. I just like the Kyrie-LeBron thing. And it would have worked a lot more if I just lived under a rock for the entire All-Star break and didn't see what happened. Because apparently yeah, they they're buddy-buddy. Yeah, I don't like went that. Went for a brewski together. Yeah, I really don't. And they played in the same team. LeBron picked him in the starting five. Yeah. I thought they like didn't like each other anymore. I thought he was going to get picked up by Curry's All-Star team. I was not happy with that at all. <laughs> I like animosity in the NBA because they just run their mouths and they have Twitter wars and it's, it's the best. Uh, talk about from flamboyant teams to very modest teams going over to the MLB. Now the Blue Jays playing the Phillies right now. It's currently 4-1 in the bottom of the seventh. Jaime Garcia was pitching. He went five innings, two hits, three strikeouts, two ERA. Tyler Clipper threw an inning, gave up an earned run, one strikeout. He gave up a home run. So, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be an interesting Jays season. There's no question about it. They're just so injured, dude. Anthony Alford's out three to six weeks now with a grade two hamstring strain. He's had so many injuries throughout his his baseball career. Broken bone in his hand, a concussion, a knee injury. He's a multi-sporter, played football in Mississippi. I think that's the biggest thing right there. You wonder why he has so many injuries. The guy looks like a a silverback. He is a monster just physically. Yet he's got so many injuries. And you think, well, it's years of playing football. Man, he's he's got all these injuries on his list, and he's never made it to the bigs. Mm-hmm. Wait. Well, no, he came up. Uh, hey, he's had a, he's had a cup of tea, but he's never yeah. truly been a major league player yet. And you got to think, teams, especially the Jays, they're looking at that and going, "Is this going to be a guy that is going to be healthy enough for us to take a run with and us to hey, this is going to be our guy?" You don't want to say that if you think he's going to be on the DL. You don't need another Tulo and Devin Travis on this team. They have enough of that. Yeah, Troy Tulowitzki has got bone spurs in his heel. Yeah, he's, Josh he's Donaldson. done for like a month, right? He's going to miss the first month of the season. He could enter the season on the 60-day DL. Perfect. 60-day. Just a little missed Tulo for two months. He came into spring training injured. Who the hell does that? Josh Donaldson's old, denying old, a calf injury. No, I love it. Well, you guys ever had a sprain before? What, no, what was it? He, he, a it's direct a bone quote. spur. 
oh, he he said it was like a hamstring, like a pulled hamstring or something. Who? Like, JD. He's like, oh, Donaldson. Yeah, he's like, you guys ever had one of these before? It's nothing to worry about. Like, well, then play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly, it's something to worry about if the training staff isn't letting you go out. He says he has cramps and he got dehydrated that one game that he left. Yeah. Who's getting dehydrated in spring training? Someone who's hung over from the night before. And just played 36 <laughs> holes before they uh, yeah. start the game and at 1 o'clock. Yeah, 36 holes with 12 beers. That along with Randall Gritchick, who has a rib injury. Dalton Pompey with his wrist. Who knows if, what he's going to become now. No, he, that's Dalton Pompey, Dwight Smith Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and... Uh, the big football guy you mentioned, that's your starting outfield in uh, AAA, you got to think, the four of them. You think Teoscar should start in the uh, minors? I'd rather see him get consistent ABs until God knows someone in the major leagues gets injured. Cause it, so who's your who's your outfield for the Jays? You got Granderson, Pilar, and then who? Grichuk. Oh, yeah, Grichuk over Hernandez, yeah. And then uh, Steve Pierce is on my bench. Yeah. That sucks. It, 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 it's I funny because we were talking about how wide open this outfield was going to be. They did a decent job filling. Oh yeah, it. they did a decent job filling it. Grichik was the big one. Grichik yeah. was the big pickup, I mean, and they they got him for not that much either. Yeah, bruised ribs. I think he's going to be okay. He'll be good to go for opening day. And mm-hmm. Granderson probably a platoon action, maybe with Steve Pierce over and left. And those guys are. It's an upgrade over where they had what they had in the outfield last year with Zeke and Batista. And everyone else that filled in, Ryan Goins was a left fielder for a couple. Everyone played left field, I think, last year on the Blue Jays Darwin roster. Darwin Barney played some outfield. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Stroman is going to make his spring debut on Saturday against the Canadian national junior team. He had shoulder inflammation. I don't know what kind of test that is, playing against some 18 and unders, the Canadian national team. The cool story out of this is that Braden Halliday, who was the late Halliday, Roy Halliday's uh, son, he is scheduled to pitch in at least an inning. Uh, in this game for the Canadian junior team. That's a pretty cool story. Uh, absolutely. He he was born in Toronto during Halliday's stint here back in the day, and he, he had the choice. He he chose to play for the Canadian junior national team, and I think that really shows how much the Blue Jays had an effect on that, that family as a whole for Roy Halliday, and I think it's just he had to pitch in this game. The second you heard he was, he was going to play for the junior national team, you had to see him play for it just because it's such a great story. And even if he gets absolutely smoked, I, I don't even care if he gives up 18 home runs in an inning, it's still going to be a great story just to see him out there, see the holiday name on the back of a jersey, even if he is pitching against the Blue Jays. It'd be nice if he went three up, three down. Though. Oh, it would be so nice. I, someone's got someone's to tell those batters who go up against them, hey, miss. No, <laughs> strike out. No, he. I don't think. I don't so, think he would like that. Yeah, you're, he wouldn't. He Man, wouldn't like it. What the hell was it? Space Jam. When <laughs> when Michael Michael Jordan's at the plate and the catcher's like, "Don't swing, don't swing," and it was like a curveball, like in the dirt. And then he's like, "Swing, swing at this one," and he's like telling him to swing. Get stuff like that. That'd be funny. Uh, moving on to Tiger Woods to finish off the show. He had such a good start on Thursday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Eight-time winner at Bay Hill, finished four under. He's currently one over through eight holes. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Henrik Stenson are done for the day. They're tied for, for the lead at 11 under. And then from that point on, Roy McIlroy's five under after his second round. He started the season terribly at the PGA. He started off on the European Tour playing in Dubai. 
had a pretty good stretch there. He almost won two weeks in a row, and then he came back to the States to start off his PGA uh, Tour season, and he hasn't had such a good start, but playing a lot better today and this week. Uh, so from Tiger Woods' point of view, he's sitting eight shots back. He still has the back nine to play today, but it's a, he's getting it, reps, it's a, it's a steep hill, and you're right. He's getting reps, and the tournament, any tournament right now is loving when they hear the name Tiger Woods is going to be entered. The, Golf the channels are loving it. Everyone is loving that Tiger is back. Especially, even the other competitors are probably loving because he's not fully back yet. He's not winning tournaments yet. He almost he's, did, though. He almost won, but he hasn't won yet. So not only the, the other golfers are getting all the extra exposure because Tiger's mm. bringing in all these eyes, but Tiger's not winning it. It's not where Tiger has all the attention and he's just winning tournament after tournament and no one has a chance. It's, oh, look, we got the best ratings in the history of an event for Golf Channel, their pre-show. But Tiger didn't win, which means other people got mentioned as well. And yeah, well, yeah, but no one cares. Like Paul Casey won at Valspar. No one cares about Paul Casey. Ha- that that was last week, and half mm-hmm. people have already forgot his name. Well, <laughs> golf fans know who Paul Casey is. Yes. But he, the best part is that Casey won in like a Tiger-esque fashion. He was way down, yeah, he did, and he teed he off early. Sunday. He shot like a six under. He shot six under, I think, in, in the final round, and, and, and came sat back in the win. clubhouse. Yeah. Now, usually in Tiger's heyday. He would have gone back. He Tiger shot what a seventy or a seventy-one. He was, he was the only player to shoot under par in every round last week. It's pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. Also, out of, but out of the top seven who finished the tournament, he had the second worst round on Sunday in the top seven. Yes. So he he didn't do what he usually does in on Sundays. A red shirt wasn't working for him. It right? wasn't working for him, and it sucks because we were talking about this before it started. We, who would win? And you said you have the whole field over Tiger. I I'm not saying I had, I had Tiger to win, but I'm saying it's you're crazy to not think of him as a factor. And he was hitting his iron so well all week in Tampa, and then and he was putting well too. But then on Sunday he just couldn't hit his irons close, and he wasn't making any putts. And it looks like it's happening today as well. He's not driving it as well as iron plays and is solid. So. It's a fact thing, and I think the winds are also picking up too at Bay Hill. But we're gonna follow him and uh, see how he's doing, and hopefully, weren't were you telling me he's the favorite for the Masters now? The Vegas, Vegas, the, the, has ve- the Vegas betting favorite because people that gamble just they, they love it. Eh? Yeah, they're so what, eating it up. So when Vegas has the best odds for somebody, they the all the betters just pump all their money into there, and they put it all on Tiger, and you know the bookies. They reel in more money. Yeah, same thing the, with the Leafs in the beginning of the season when they were favorites to win the cup the first month of the season. It's the same thing. Doesn't mean they're actual real like they're gonna win. We'll, we'll see who the favorite is on Wednesday. Before that's the Masters. Let's see, let's see what Vegas has as their favorite on the Wednesday. Yeah, right before the tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger finished with like a top eight this week. Well, he just this week. Mm-hmm. This week. Well, for Masters, I, I thought you were talking about this week. Yeah, oh, yeah th- this no, week. Yeah, this yeah, week, you, top eight. Something okay. in something in there. He still has the back nine to play. If he has to play well in the par fives, that was his bread and butter in his prime. You, if you have, you see, it, he's eight back. Is he making the cut? Oh yeah, he's making the cut. He's t seventeen right now. Oh, there's a big, uh, yeah, he's big th- gap on the leaderboard. He's still right now. three under on the tournament. Oh yeah, because you look at the leaderboard, you have two guys at eleven under, and then someone at nine under, and then at six under, and then down from there. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's not like there's, there's a, a spread. Yeah, yeah, there's not like seven it's, guys at yeah, ten he, under. I hear he's eight shots back, and I'm thinking, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> and, and most of the guys had already done the rounds who were ahead of him, so he still has to finish his round. So he still has you know, some some ground to make up. In terms of the Masters, I wouldn't be surprised if he contends. He knows every single thing about that course. He knows every blade of grass on that course. 
What odds do you have of him winning a major this year? This year? So this year. Like, if I were to take a bet, what odds would I want? What percentage would you give? Oh, what percentage chance that he wins one major Out of this the year? 10? 10%. Those are good odds. Way better than I thought. I, that I thought, probably thought I would ever say, but mm-hmm. I, well, of course, the Masters are probably his best chance. Just because it's Augusta, and he knows, like you said, every inch, every hill, every mm-hmm. tree, every branch, every leave on that course. When he goes and plays the British or plays the U.S., those are hard tournaments. The U.S. is supposed to be the hardest golf tournament in the world because. The USGA, they yeah. want to make sure that whoever wins is within a stroke or two of even par. Yeah. I don't know if that's a tournament maybe in Tiger's wheelhouse at the current moment, especially because his... That was off, the last major off, he won, baby. Off the tee doesn't seem to be the uh, best thing in his repertoire right now, and you have to be clean off the tee to win a U.S. Open because the rough is extremely unforgiving. Mm-hmm. I mean... You won one on a on a torn or a ruptured ACL. Yes, it's your favorite story. You tell because them, it's you, one you of mentioned the, it every week, Mike. It's one of the greatest sporting stories of all time. <laughs> I just gotta throw that out there. Anyway, well, uh, I'm gonna keep watching the Arnold Palmer Invitational throughout the weekend, and uh, we'll stay up to date with everything going on Tiger and everything else around the world. But until next time, for Michael Reeve, I'm Tyler Kelleher. We'll talk to you guys next time on Homestand Headlines. <laughs>